Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. To go to uh, this text here in Isaiah 42, and this is a prophecy given of the coming of Jesus and what would happen with regard to what he would accomplish, what Jesus would accomplish, this Messiah. Of course, the name is not in this. It was just one who is coming. It's described here as my servant. Here is my servant. This begins to describe something that would happen hundreds of years later. This was also spoken of in Matthew chapter, uh, I guess it was chapter 12, in Matthew verse 18, 19, and 20. So in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, goes back. Matthew goes back and quotes what we're about to read. He quotes Isaiah 42. Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah 42. uh, Let's begin to read it. Here is my servant whom I'm uphold. Speaking, prophesying of the coming Jesus. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Here's my text, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. Verse 5. This is what God the Lord says the creator of the heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all the springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. This is prophesied what he will do. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for my people, a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And everybody here to that says, amen. Okay, man, I don't think we got that. Let's back it up. Go to verse go to verse 7. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will free the captives from their prison and release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. And everyone says, amen. This is what he did. You read of it in Luke chapter 4. I, Jesus gets up and he says, I have come. And he begins to declare, this is what I've come for. And I thank God for that. Verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and the new thing I declare. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant is now turning into the new covenant. We are in the new covenant. New things have taken place. New things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Again, the text, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. The title of my message this morning is more is morning dawns. Now, uh, did anybody here go to a Easter sunrise service? Did anybody do that? You guys did? Okay. Bless you. Oh, not today. Oh, oh, that doesn't count. No, no. Okay. Did anybody do it today? Did anybody today go to 
Um, I got up, I looked out the window, and it was snow. And I was actually kind of glad we didn't have a sunrise service. I'm sorry. But it's just like, and, and the first thing I got, my son, who lives in Florida, he knows that. So he sent me, they went to a sunrise service, and they were in shorts and T-shirt. And so he sent me his sunrise service and my little granddaughter, and they were at the sunrise. And I had a picture of that first thing this morning, and, I was, and we had snow. He was just rubbing it in, of course. Um, morning dawns. This picture here, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Uh, how many here this morning, I want audience participation, how many here this morning, you, I'm going to use the word love here, you love reading. Now, I'm not talking about magazines, I'm talking, you love reading books. How many, go ahead, don't be ashamed. You love reading, I do too, okay. What half? The rest of you, not so much. That's okay. You remember uh, working with children when it comes to reading? When you work with children when it comes to reading books, uh, maybe school, they, you know, starting preschool oftentimes, uh, you start them with picture books. And a lot of picture, very little words. It might be one or two or three or four words. But a lot of picture. And, of course, they look at the picture what you're trying to do is get them to see how the words relate to the picture, the picture to the words. Now, as they get older and as they grow and we begin to teach them words, we begin to lessen the picture and increase the words. So when you flip the page, you should have less and less pictures and more and more words. If it goes the other way around, okay, that's a problem. So less and less pictures, more and more words, until you come to the place where there's no more pictures and it's just all words. Because what you are training is for them to imagine... The story. You imagine the story. So I dare say we have vivid imagination, some of us more than others. So I'm going to invite you to, I used to have a teacher in school, she would tell us to put on our imagination cap. Always curious what that looked like, but I guess you had to imagine what it looked like. Imagination cap. So would you put on your imagination caps, everybody here this morning, young and old, everybody, I have an imaginary picture book with me today. We're going to have it behind me. You're going to get to see it. We're going to look through it, but I need your imagination because your imagination is a thousand times better than any picture I could put on it. Disney used to say that never rob people of their imagination or you will, you will restrict the story. So let the imagination flourish. So here we're going to go. We're going to go with blank pages. You put the picture in here. Let's go. Page number one. Let's go to page one. Page one. Here we are. You have to put the picture in. Here it is, page one. Are you ready? Imagine on page one a leper. I want you to imagine him hunchback. I want you to imagine that you can see his hands are open and he's missing some digits in his hand. He's missing some fingers. He's a leper. I want you to imagine on this leopard. Are, are you seeing him? I want you to imagine bandages on his head. There's a father nearby the leper, and his brow is furrowed, and he's yelling at the leper. I want you to imagine behind him as well, there is a mother who is grabbing her child as she runs from him. You got the picture? And the picture is entitled, If You Will, You Can. On page two there in the opposite, 
I want you now to imagine that same leper. He's standing straight. He's standing straight. And that leper, the same leper, different scene. And the words there are, I will. He stands tall. He's looking at, he has all his fingers back. Can you see it? The bandage is gone. There's no crowd. There's no yelling man. There's no screaming mother. There's only one person now in this second picture. It's a man standing beside him with his hand on his shoulder. On the one side, the picture is him bent over. If you will, you can. On the other side, I will. Okay. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to page three. Here we are, page three. Now, I want you to imagine on page three, a woman, she's on all four. Have you got her? Her clothes are ragged. Her body is frail. Her skin is pale. She looks anemic. Her eyes, you can see her eyes. They're desperate. As you see, her hand is reaching towards something. You're not sure what that is. All you can see is a pair of legs, sandals, and the bottom of his robe. That's all you can see in that picture, page three. And at the title, if only. Can you see the picture? Now go to the other side, page four. She is standing. Her face is flushed with color. Around her is a large crowd, somewhat intimidating, people looking at her. But standing beside her is one, the one she sought to touch. And on the caption of that page, take heart. If only, take heart. You staying with me? I hope your head's not hurting. Go with me, page number five. Let's go page number five. Imagine with me on this page, the next picture. We're going to have to doctor this picture up a little bit. It's a man. It's a close-up of a man. His face is contorted. His mouth is wide open. He's screaming. It's inhabited with hundreds of spiderish creatures crawling over each other. And he is screaming, swear to God you won't torture me. Page six. The same man. His eyes are no longer wild. His mouth is closed. And the caption simply reads... Released. Wow. Let's keep going. Page seven. I want you to imagine a scantily clothed female cowering before this intimidating mob of men, threatening with rocks in their hands to pitch the matter. Page eight. Page eight. The scene is stones everywhere, all over the ground, harmlessly laying on the ground. And off to the side, I want you to picture on page A, a surprised woman. There's no more crowd in this picture. And beside her is a smiling man, bent over drawing something in the dirt. In these pictures we have this morning, what I have you imagine is the before and the after. I think this is as significant to Easter as anything we could put together today. We could go through the story over and over, but the story is about the before, and the story is about the after. And if we don't get that, we've missed Easter. It's just a historical lesson. 
But it's more than a historical lesson. Over and over in the Testament of the New Testament, as a few folk came to share in the mic today, is story after story of the before Jesus and the after Jesus. The life-changing encounters with the Son of God. Now we understand the imagery as we begin to come back to Isaiah 42, verse 3, later recounted in Matthew 12, 20, where he says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Let me talk about that for a second because this was a prophecy. We ought not miss the significance of the prophecy. Prophesied before Jesus ever came. Bruised reeds, the picture is of frailty. Bruised reeds is a picture standing by itself, beaten by the winds and elements around it. A bruised reed is hurting. A bruised reed is ready to crumble under the next assault. It's a bruised reed. The prophecy, a bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick, that's the next one, a smoldering wick. You've seen them. The candles about to go out, they burnt bright. And then for whatever reason, it is just flickering, moments away from extinguish. Smoldering wicks says he will not snuff out. It symbolizes, as the brood reed symbolizes frailty, hurt. The smoldering wick symbolizes life's almost over. There's nothing more for life. Not necessarily old age, but the hope is about dead. And this morning, I want to bring us to this picture of the Messiah. Because this was a prophecy. That the prophecy is a prophecy, a bruised reed, Jesus will not break. Smoldering wick, Jesus will not snuff out. And the prophecy brings us to this moment, I believe, today. The question ultimately is, maybe you here today in person, maybe those who might be joining online, that you feel, yes, I can relate to the picture of a bruised reed. The bruised reed where broken, nothing much left, frailty, or maybe a smoldering wick, the hope is about but extinguished. Are you a bruised reed, smoldering wick? Because today is a very significant day for you. Maybe you once stood strong and confident. Maybe you once stood with with strength and the epitome of courage. And then something happened. Maybe it happened instantly. Maybe it happened over a period of time. But you now are bruised. That describes you. Maybe not many know about the bruise. But they know the effects of the bruise. The pain and the hurt that comes out of a bruise. And you're now bruised. Betrayed perhaps. Maybe by harsh words. Maybe you're bruised because of your own failures. Your aspirations have been shattered. You feel beaten. You feel done in. The Easter story is for you. The story starts off in John chapter 20 verse 1. And then I'm going to go to Matthew 28. And I'm going to spend the rest of the Easter story in the next few minutes. But in John chapter 20 verse 1, John the disciple relates the beginning of the Easter story where he says, 
early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. That's how he starts it off. So we start this day early. That's thus the sunrise service. The idea is you get there before the sun comes up. Get there while it's still dark. So that darkness turns into lights, the picture. Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. The story of Easter is about morning dawning. The story of salvation and our Lord is about morning dawning. It begins a dark Sunday morning back 2,000 years ago. It begins on that dark day where really in many ways it had been dark for the last three days. When we go to the Easter story, the resurrection scene, it was dark on Thursday. It was dark when Jesus was being arrested. It was a dark day. It was a dark day when Jesus' disciples were being tormented prior to his arrest. It was a dark day. It was a dark day when Judas betrayed him and then Judas came to an awareness of what he did. It was a dark day. It was a dark day when they arrested Jesus at night. It was dark. And they took him. And all night long, they had this illegal trial because they had to expedite him to the cross if they were to get him to the cross before Passover. They had to stay up at night to do it. It was an illegal court scene. It was dark all the way through. It was dark when Peter denied the Lord. It was dark when the disciples turned and betrayed him. It was dark when Pilate, who could have set him free, was chicken and cowardice and did not set him free. He almost did, but he didn't set him free. It was dark with Christ's anguish as he cried out in pain, if I could only let this cup pass from me. And it was dark because of the devil's glee. Because this was his moment. John 20 verse 1. Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. It comes out of darkness. It comes out of darkness. And now the dawn is rising. Let's talk about that for a minute. This is Okay, let's leave the darkness. Dawn is coming. In this story we have, and I want to hone in on a couple of women. This couple of women, their names are Mary and Mary. Actually, their name is Miriam. Their Jewish name is Miriam. We've turned it into Greek Mary. Sounds better for us. So Mary, we'll call them Mary. Mary and Mary. Mary, one Mary is the mother of James and Joseph. The other Mary is Mary Magdalene. Two Marys. They, uh, at the crucifixion, appeared to be one of the last to leave. You've been to a gravesite? where there has been the committal. The minister has spoken the final words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Possibly flowers were given to close members. And then people begin to leave the grave. This person, though, to you was dearly loved, dearly loved. And perhaps you were the last one to leave. You know you have to leave. They have to finish the job, those at the cemetery but you don't want to leave. You feel like you're walking away from someone, and so you linger. You linger. Your heart is broken. Your heart is sad. Your heart is heavy. And some of you have been there. You linger that day at the grave. Mary and Mary. The last to leave the crucifixion when they took down Jesus' body and they carried him away. Others have moved on. 
but they're the last to leave. And here's the significant part. So on Easter Sunday, it wasn't Easter Sunday to them, it was just two days later, they're the first to arrive. I don't think it's insignificant. They're the last to leave, the first to show up. And so their first two women, Mary, Mary, they needed just enough daylight in order to get them to the tomb. They make their way to the tomb, Matthew 28, verse 1. Let me just read it. If you have it, I invite you to read through that with me. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So here you have it. Early the Sunday morning, like today, this is what we commemorate. Mary and Mary are walking to the grave. There's no anticipation in their step. They don't realize it's Easter. <laughs> okay, we look back. It's not Easter to them. It's a sad day. They're merely fulfilling a duty. You see, there's a corpse that lay, and that corpse, someone needs to apply warm oils on a cold body and bid it farewell. Somebody needs to do it, and they do it right at the beginning of the day. They didn't know Jesus was going to rise. Their dreams had been shattered two days prior. When they saw him give up his last breath and his head fell to his shoulders, their dreams stopped there. They had honestly felt he wouldn't have taken himself to that place of death. They honestly thought he would have escaped the trial, but he didn't. They honestly thought he would have escaped the torture, but he didn't. They honestly thought he would have escaped the nails, but he didn't. They honestly thought he would have got down off the cross by himself. He didn't. He died. They thought he would. All his disciples did, but he didn't. Their hopes were dashed. It's a corpse. They had one time dreamed dreams. They had one time had faith to believe the impossible. But Sunday morning, they don't anymore. The feet that once walked on water had been pierced. The hands that had healed the lepers had been silenced. No, Mary and Mary, Sunday morning, morning's dawn, were merely, were merely fulfilling a duty. They expected nothing in return. He's dead after all. Dead people can't give you anything back. It's a one-way gift this day. They need, someone needs to anoint his body. They're doing it because someone needs to do it. They're doing it because it's duty. Someone needs to do this. They're going to the tomb to give, not receive. They're going to give, period. No motivation more noble, I believe, is that when you and I give with no strings attached. There is something that moves heaven when men and women like us give because someone needs to give. Yes, out of obligation, but deeper out of love. Because someone needs to do it. You're not getting it, not giving to get. You're giving because you need to give. It stops there. And if you get nothing in return, dad can't give anything back. That's okay. Because you're motivated to give. You see, the two women went to the tomb that day. They thought they went alone. They did not go alone. Heaven smiled on that moment. We know that. How do you know that? Oh, pastor, you made that up. Well, we know because Jesus showed up. Someone was watching this. Someone was watching this. 
They thought they were alone. They thought it was only out of duty. They were giving and no one else was going to benefit. They just needed to give. And that alone moved the heart of our Lord. And I want to just say, there's something about times when we too are called to love when nothing is coming our direction. It's so hard, isn't it? It is so hard to love our wives when they don't love you back or you question it. To love your husband when he doesn't perhaps love you back. To love a brother or sister when a relationship's been severed. But you just keep giving. To love a son or daughter when they've told you to never talk to them again. And yet you just give, like Mary and Mary. You keep giving. You've had every reason as you've been pushed away, pushed back from this. You have every reason to turn around. It's it's your prerogative to walk away. You don't have to do it, or do you? Or do I need to give a friend who was dear to you but has turned their back, but you're going to continue to love them? A boss who did dirt to you, you're going to continue to love them. You give irregardless of what you get. That's Mary and Mary. Mary and Mary knew the preparation of Jesus' body had to be done. I mean, after all, where's Peter? Where's the beloved John who put his head on Jesus' shoulder? Where's John today? He's not anywhere near the tomb, is he? Where's the rest of the disciples? James, the great one who's rising up to be a leader. Where's he today? Where's the woman who was healed with the issue of blood? Where's, you know, the one who, where's the leper? He should be here. All ten of them should be here. Where's the man who was set free from the demons? He should be here. No, 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 nobody's here. Mary and Mary. Two. Pretty sad state of affairs for a Messiah. Wouldn't you think? Just Mary and Mary. Somebody has to do it. Life's like that. Those who you would expect will do things often don't. And it seems it's left up to you again. How are you doing with that, my friends? How are you doing when it seems like you're the only one? Have you two abandoned it? Why is it always me who has to forgive? Why is it always me who has to consent? Why is it always me who has to be the better one to take the higher ground and to go on? Why is it always me? You've heard that? Have you heard yourself say it? Have you thought it? Why is it always me? And I'm certain Mary Mary were tempted to quit that day. If they're human, yes. To quit. They're exhausted. This has been an exhausting weekend. All these duties for the Lord, but they didn't. Early the next morning, they're doing their job. They're reaching out to give to Jesus. Ah, beloved, I could stop right there and we've had enough. Oh, God, help us to not quit. Oh, to help us that we go from perseverance into a greater character development for him. So, here they were. They uh, didn't feel anybody was watching, but heaven was watching. Heaven was, God was smiling on the hearts that are devoted. Matthew chapter 28. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. 
the angel rolled back the stone. Some have thought maybe he rolled back the stone so that Jesus could come out. But that's not what it says. Verse 6 declares, he is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come. Here's the beckon. Come. Take a look. No, the stone wasn't rolled back for Jesus to get out. He was already gone. The stone was rolled back so we might come and see. It's for us. Come. I've rolled it so you can take a look. Otherwise, you won't believe. Come. Come, take a look. He's not here. See. And I can only imagine Mary and Mary. I can only imagine when they... Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Wouldn't you have loved to have captured that somehow? When, when after all the darkness they, and, and the commitment and their, the heart of generosity to be there, they're, they're there. And then the invitation, come take a look. And as they go to the mouth of the cave and they look in and it's empty. Wouldn't you have just liked to have a close-up to see their countenance begin to, first of all, confusion. Then realization because the angel did say, he is not here. What's the last words? He has hmm. It's just not he's missing. The angel actually told what happened. He's alive. He's alive. And now they're standing at the mouth of the cave, looking in, and it's, they're rehearsing. Okay, he's not here. It's obvious. The cave's not that big. The angel said he's risen. He's not just been moved. The angel said he's risen. And as it begins to dawn, morning dawns, begins to dawn on them that early morning, suddenly the dream begins to drop back into their heart again. They begin to realize the dream's not dead. It's not dead. Praise God. Verse 7. Then go quickly. Tell his disciples, the angel said, He has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. In other words, conversation's done. <laughs> okay, let me read it again. He has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So go quickly. Tell the disciples. Now, they didn't have to be told twice. Mary, Mary, they're pell-mell, turn around, out of there, they're going. Darkness is gone. The shroud is gone. Hopelessness is gone. Hearts are being revived. The sun is up. S-O-N is up. And the, the prediction here was, he has gone. Jesus has gone ahead of you into Galilee. Tell the rest to meet him there. So they are, remember they're in Jerusalem, just out the outskirts of Jerusalem. Galilee's a, a little ways away. He's going to meet you there. They're excited. They're going to meet him there. Now picture this, verse 9. They're on their way to tell the disciples. 9, suddenly Jesus meets them. Now, the angel didn't say that part. The angel said he's going to show up at Galilee. But this is our Savior. Now remember, he heals bruised reeds. He gives life back to smoldering wicks. And he does it at the time that we least expect it. They thought the great day would be back at Galilee, but as they were on their way, it shows here in verse 7, or sorry, in verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go ahead, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Isn't he a God of surprise? He surprised them on the way, he just loved on them. God does that. He does that for the faithful. Just when the womb is too old to have babies, a Sarah gets pregnant. Just when failure is too great and overwhelms David, 
David gets pardoned. And just when the road is too dark for Mary and Mary, an angel shows up and they have an encounter with Jesus. Here's the call. Here's what this day is all about. Don't give up. Don't give up. Might I suggest give in to Jesus today. Don't quit, for if you do, you may miss your morning dawning. So I come back to that scripture. Scripture that is our text. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. If that's you. And if it's not you, you're here today and say, that's not me. I've had moments maybe, but that's not me today. But maybe today we can bring Jesus to those whose reeds are bruised and whose wicks are about to go out. There are people around me I know who that fits the description. There's people I'm going to suggest around you that fits the description. Can morning dawn for them? Go tell them. Go tell them. Jesus is alive and what he has done for you. We're going to, in just a moment, be singing these words. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Let the song begin to arise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.